0: Hi there, it's Nick here. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast and I'd like to thank all our generous sponsors who make this possible as well, particularly the ROA, the Racehorse Owners Association, who have their horse racing awards once again for the 41st time on the evening of Thursday the 7th of December. I've got an offer for all the listeners who want to be there and rub shoulders with the stars of the sport. You can be there at this Black Tie event, which takes place at the Royal Lancaster Hotel in London and includes a drinks reception and a three-course dinner with wine before the awards ceremony itself. It's a great night, great fun. And you see everybody let their hair down and really embrace the spirit of the sport. There are 14 flat and National Hunt Awards up for grabs, plus the highly coveted Horse of the Year and Owner of the Year. If you would like to join some of the biggest names in racing at a specially discounted rate, you can do so by going to roa.co.uk forward slash NLD and entering the code NLD to buy your individual tickets for £235 or a table for 10 at £2,250. The offer closes at noon this Saturday. You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by FitzDares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Hi all, welcome to
1: Nick Luck Daily, it's Tuesday the 14th of November, no Nick today, he is in Bahrain currently, we'll hear from him later in the show, Tom Stanley in for him, we've got loads and loads to talk about this Tuesday morning slash afternoon, maybe even evening whenever you are listening, I'm joined by Lee Mottet, senior writer at the Racing Post, Lee we'll just start on some domestic news uh, before we come to Cheltenham this weekend and, and plenty more besides the cabinet reshuffle just wanted to ask whether or not those reverberations will be felt further down the pyramid and if that could potentially impact british racing and how
2: well potentially tom um what 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 we tend to see with uh these big government reshuffles in the past is that on day 1 you get the real headline grabbing cabinet announcements and goodness we, we got two of those yesterday with david cameron back in government and suela braverman out of government but what, what tends to happen on day two is that you get changes further down the pecking order if you like within government departments but as we speak at uh sort of mid-morning on on tuesday there's not really a suggestion that that's happening on this occasion and certainly the the way things were presented yesterday did almost suggest it was a one day job of of reshuffling. So if that was the case, then Lucy Fraser would remain in post as Culture Secretary, and Stuart Andrew would remain as the the Gambling and Sport Minister. In fact, the two people most closely associated now with the gambling white paper and the plan to introduce affordability checks within uh, the the this, this Parliament. Um, So no changes there. Um, What was potentially interesting was the introduction or the reintroduction to government of Esther McVeigh. Now, Esther McVeigh is um, a politician, uh, conservative politician who has been brought into the cabinet office as uh, she will attend cabinet but won't be a full cabinet minister. Um, the, 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 the off the record line has been that she will be the minister for common sense. And I think a lot of people in racing will be hoping that Esther McVeigh as a big racing fan, uh, and the wife of another conservative MP, Philip Davis, who is also a big racing fan will be, uh, impressing upon her, her leader, her prime minister, Rishi Shulak, who is also her friend that affordability checks would be a very bad idea indeed. We've got this petition um, that is available, available for anyone to sign at the moment. At the minute, it's on about 83,000 signatures. If it gets to 100,000, there could well be debate within Parliament. That's progressing. But the fact that Esther McVeigh is within Cabinet, although not a full Cabinet minister, I think people will see that as a, as a positive for racing um, what will also be interesting in the longer term, I think, is this ha- is how this impacts on the fortunes of Rishi Sunak's beleaguered administration. Um, we know he has to go to the country by early 2025. There's widespread expectation, though, that the election will be at some point in 2024. It's not a good look for any government to go right the way to the war. It's also an, it's basically an admission that they don't think they can win. So when soon that goes to the polls in 2024 will be interesting. If uh, the appointment of David Cameron can shore up what's now being described as the the blue wall vote within southern England, because there seems to be a belief that the red wall of the north has probably been lost already. If there's a feeling that, that David Cameron's appointment can help to kickstart a, uh more support for the government within the south i suppose it's possible that they could go further deeper into 2024 before they go to the country and that's of interest to racing because of course the gambling white paper is going through um is going through parliament right now i guess racing's best best outcome would be if the gambling white paper uh became law got, got got through all its stages but without affordability checks in there if that could if the legislation could somehow be changed and affordability checks pulled out of it if Sunak goes to the country early and i know a lot of people think he might go in may at the same time as the local elections one one reasoning for that being if they have a disastrous local elections it'd be hard to ride the troops for a second election later in in the year if that was to happen it's entirely possible that the gambling white paper wouldn't make it through uh parliament before the election it would in effect time out and if that happened the 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 outcome in effect is that the gambling commission is empowered um because there wouldn't have been any formalized uh legislation gone through parliament and that wouldn't be a great thing i don't think for for horse racing or the gambling sector so there clearly are the, the specific things, I say, in terms of the appointment of Esther McVeigh and Lucy Fraser and Stuart Andrew continuing in post. But in a wider sense, how this impacts on the popularity of Sunak's government, I think, will be interesting against the backdrop of the fact that Keir Starmer's Labour Party are massively ahead in the polls. And in all probability, unless things change for Sunak, heading for a landslide election success.
0: All right, out to Bahrain. Here's Nick. Well, Tom, I'm very grateful for you stepping into the breach today, but obviously I can't completely take the morning off because, as you know, I'm with connections of horses who are running in the uh, million-dollar Bahrain International Trophy at the weekend. And you did ask me, are the Kublers in Bahrain yet? And the answer is yes, with the Cambridgeshire winner Astro King. Dan and Claire are here with their owners, Lofty and Norman. And at this moment in time, Dan, it's um, it's all it's all quite a jolly gathering, isn't it? Mind you, we've got three days to come. Yeah, no, I mean, it's sort of, uh, you know, it's very nice here. We've, we've just landed and had a nice breakfast and uh, looking forward to seeing the horse this afternoon and everyone's sort of chatting away and the excitement's building, I suppose. What are the early reports of how he's taken the, the travel? The team are very happy with him and how he arrived and, you know, uh, Mark Lawson and uh, Tamsin Khan, they've been doing a great job with him. Um and, you know, sending us videos every morning and plenty of updates. And he looks well and um, yeah, looking forward to seeing him this afternoon in the flesh, so to speak. Yeah, and the thing is, Claire, I mean, a lot lot of times when you do these international trips, they come at the end of a, of a long season. You think, oh, well, maybe we'll have one more roll of the dice. You've been planning this one now for a for a little while, haven't you?
1: I think everything's fallen into place really nicely. Um, at the start of the season, the ground was too soft for him, so we had to hold fire... And it's just meant he's still nice and fresh at the end. He just keeps improving at the moment. So it's a very hot race, but we're going in very hopeful Um, and just really thankful to the Bahrain Turf Club to put on an event like this. It's pretty special and they're spoiling us, which is very nice. Could get used to this. Um,
0: Don't don't tell anyone, Claire.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and it's just nice to have an international runner.
0: Um, Tom, we are looking forward to seeing you here later in the week. It's lovely to have an international runner, as as you know. Um, Lofty and Norman, who own Astro King, are, I think, living the dream a little bit. Absolutely. Um, Is that right, Lofty?
3: Indeed it is. We're here in great anticipation. We would never have expected anything like this early on in the season, and we kind of can't believe that it's happening to us, but it sure is, and we're really looking forward to Friday.
0: Now, you said you, you had to thank me for, for an introduction to the Kublers, but it wasn't actually me. I'm happy to take the credit, but it wasn't me, really, was it? No,
3: no, but it was through the Nick Luck Sunday show uh, that, that I got involved with Astro King.
0: Because you saw Dan and thought...
3: I thought he, his demeanour was perfect, and I liked, I liked the uh, marginal gains and the scientific approach. And I looked on the website and saw there was a horse called Astro King, which I'd never heard of. Available and I rang him up and went to see him and and it all went from there.
0: Well, I mean that's a that's a hell of a story.
3: It is a good story, but it's it's certainly uh, the truth. And Norman and I are now involved and we're involved in another horse now, another Kingman horse called El Rufus. Yeah, so.
0: basically. So, Lofty and Norman have told me that they, they basically only get Kingmans now. They're not they're not going they're not <laughs> they're not going to the bottom end of the market, Norman. It's it's King, it's, it's, it's Kingman or
4: bust, isn't it? Well, yeah, it seems we've, we've done it once. Can lightning strike twice? I don't know. But uh, the Kluber's can strike twice, so that's what we're hopeful of. I mean, this
0: has been a, a fantastic journey and a great tribute to the training skills of, of Claire and Dan as well, turning this horse from being a, a bit of a nearly horse, but not quite, to a horse who actually gets down and knuckles down and wins races.
4: Yeah, and I, I mean, if we went back, I suppose, this time last year, we were talking about, you know, we bought this horse to try and win the Royal Hunt Cup which obviously didn't go to plan um, and this is just surreal this is just I mean winning the Cambridgeshire was just unbelievable yeah. to, win a, to win off top weight with 34 other runners just unbelievable
0: and you're, you're a national hunt man really you're horses with Kim Bailey and yeah yeah, yeah it's very well you're, you're, now, you're not quite sure now whether you're a national hunt man or
4: not I've converted because uh, of the, I bet you have. I've converted because of the weather Standing around on a cold, wet winter's afternoon at somewhere like Stratford or Worcester or Chepster, but it's not quite as exciting as being in Bahrain, is it? Just don't tell Kim. I have told Kim. <laughs> Kim thinks it's a fantastic story that I started in syndicates with him by ringing him because of his fantastic blog he does every day. And I've ended up with a horse here in Bahrain.
0: Do you know, this is quite interesting, isn't it? Because Lofty got in touch with Dan and Claire because he saw Dan on, like on Sunday when Cornelius was presenting. Um, and you got in touch with Kim because he does a brilliant blog. And then it, the whole thing snowballed for both of you. It, talk about the power of communication. If you're a good communicator in this game, it does work, doesn't
4: it? Yeah, I mean, it, it's... I think, as Kim said, you know, he's half in a business of training horses and half in a business that's an entertainment business and i think dan and claire would agree with that you know we're paying money for entertainment um
0: there you are claire you're do, you're you appear to be giving the entertainment as well as training the horses so
1: <laughs> i think it's creating memories on the racetrack and they're uh, just experiences you can't buy anywhere else and can't get that feeling and to share it with other people in the syndicate or with your own family it just yeah it's very special
0: well, I think there's going to be an awful lot of goodwill towards um, towards you all at the at the, at the weekend or on Friday. Just just the four Godolphins, a Gosden. We've just seen Richard Farhi, two locals. It's fair to say they're not making it
4: easy for you. No, it's a very tough race. I mean, we're we're the, I suppose ourselves and and uh, Spirit Dance are the two horses that are on the up, and who knows? I mean, we I think. Astro King's running one listed race very poorly and we haven't been anywhere near a stakes race. So here we are in a million-dollar group. Oh, it's crazy.
0: Well, you say it's crazy, but he's earned his chance to be here. Tom, Astro King will um, be carrying an awful lot of hopes uh, here in Bahrain on Friday. Looking forward to seeing you later in the week.
1: Now, Nick and Rishi discussed on the podcast yesterday the Harry Bentley ban. I'm just going to read his statement, which he released earlier this morning. I would like to thank the Hong Kong Jockey Club for their close considerations throughout the stewards' inquiry regarding an isolated incident which occurred when I was new to Hong Kong and the racing scene. I want to be extremely clear that this charge is in no way italicised, in bold and underlined, related to giving tips, betting, wagering, race fixing or accepting payment ahead of race riding. I asked that the public trust in Hong Kong Jockey Club's decision and have confidence that if this was the case, I would not have received the penalty I have. I've always tried to get the best position for my horse. That has never been in question. I accept that I should have done more research on the rules in Hong Kong and I will endeavour to do better in the future. And then a following paragraph of thanks and when he will return to race riding. Your comment, Lee.
2: Um, So just to contextualise that against the fact that Harry was charged with one breach of the rules of racing by the Hong Kong Jockey Club that related to his interactions with an unnamed individual who gave Harry a phone for sending on information he had gleaned from horses Uh, he rode in track work, barrier trials and races. Um, Harry, as you read out there, Tom has responded to his punishment, which at face value seems a very... um, big punishment, a fine that equates to around £32,000 sterling and a two-month ban. But we know from previous punishments dished out by the Hong Kong Jockey Club that this is actually a rather gentle, uh, kind punishment from from them relative to some that have been given out in the past. And therefore, I think Harry's contextualisation um, and Harry's response su- suggesting that this isn't actually as big a deal as some might think is merited i think what is the case is that harry has been uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure he would he admitted to himself extremely naive um in his early dealings with this individual in hong kong he's been naive he has been a bit stupid for what he did but i think harry bentley has always had a very good reputation in racing and he's not an individual that you would uh associate as someone that would get caught up in, in skullduggery. And therefore, I would like to think that Harry Bentley, after two months, uh, can shake this off and rebuild his career. Hopefully for him, that will continue to be in in Hong Kong. Um, but as I say, I, I, I don't think this is as uh, serious an offence as it might have been when the rumours first started coming out.
1: And also a follow-up on yesterday with uh, Graham Lee and the fund that has been set up in his name. That's by his daughter, Amy Lee. If you search Just Giving Amy Lee Injured Jockeys Fund, uh, as well as various places on Twitter where you can find the link, you, you will find that on, on Google. It's currently up to 23,870. And, of course, as we said yesterday, and we'll no, no doubt do so throughout the week and, and coming weeks, we send Graham and his family, Lee, all the very best.
2: Yes, absolutely, Tom. Um the, the, the fund that's been that has been set up will, will likely be of huge benefit to, to Graham and his family through the the IGF going forward. We also had a, a statement put out yesterday, a joint statement by Sir Anthony McCoy and Jack Berry, the president and vice president of the IJF, and that statement offered there and the IGF's full support once again to Graham Lee, and again, there was no attempt to hide the fact that Graham's situation is extremely serious um, with the injuries he sustained at Newcastle. It is desperately sad. Um, You wouldn't want this to happen to anybody, full stop, Tom, nobody. Um, But I think Graham Lee is someone who will have, um, there will be an enormous sympathy for him because he's he's extremely well-respected and extremely well-liked. Um, like you, I've known him for, for many years, once upon a time um, in, a, in a previous life almost. I, I used to ride out a bit for for Ferdy Murphy as part of a charity race expedition. Graham was stable jockey to Ferdy at the time. He couldn't have been kinder or more helpful. I think he's one of the, the most decent members of the weighing room and like everybody else i send him the most sincere best wishes and to all his family and just hope that the situation maybe isn't quite as severe as it seems at the moment
1: now some royal ascot news and a, a, a new name for the king stanley
2: Yes, yeah, so Asker announced this um, today, Tom, to coincide with the birthday of His Majesty the King. And in future, we won't be referring to the, the Five Furlong Group One Sprint that takes place on the opening day of Royal Asuka as the King Stan Stakes. That is no more. We now have the King Charles III Stakes. So the King Charles III will be the Group One Sprint on the opening day of Royal Asuka, a race often been contested by Australian sprinters as well. Um, it's an interesting move by Ascot. Um, they would have asked, had to ask the King for his permission to to do that. The fact that the King has consented and agreed, I think hopefully can be seen against a backdrop of what has been a very positive year uh, in terms of his relationship with racing. Obviously everybody in the sport wondered how the royal relationship with racing would be going forward following the death of the queen, the late queen, given that she was enormously passionate about horse racing and breeding. Um, it would almost be impossible for anybody within the family to be as passionate as she was. And there was there was a general acceptance that the king isn't uh, the racing fan that his mother was, but um, after a slightly... Worrying start when there was no uh, presence, attendance from the, from the King or Queen on Derby Day at Epsom. Um, they attended all five days of Royal Ascot, which I think was a big positive result. They, of course, had their first Royal Ascot winner um, uh, with as a hero. And that horse then went on to contest the St. at Doncaster, where the king and queen were both present and clearly enjoying the day. We had that royal walkabout uh, with racegoers by the king at Doncaster, which was very well received. And I think if we look when we get to the end of the year, Tom, when we look back at the the various victories and losses. For British racing, I think the the interest that the King, uh, supported by the Queen, who is clearly a big racing fan, have shown have given to the sport is very positive, very uh, helpful, and it, it, it's not unimportant either. And
1: we're going to come to Cheltenham this weekend, I, I assure you. But uh, Musselborough have announced a one million pound national hunt season.
2: Yeah, fair play to them, Tom. I mean, I think Musselburgh is a race course that generally speaking gets a very positive reception um, from the sports participants and for good reason because they are a race course. And not only are they very well managed by Bill Farnsworth and the team there, but they do do their very, very best to put on not only the best possible product, but the best possible product with the best possible prize money as well um they've had to a degree a turbulent time in in recent years in terms of the the race courses uh ownership um now they're, they're part of the, the, the management with the chester group and that, that's serving them well um and i think the fact that they are putting in so much money into the jump season uh is a is a really positive thing um the the track will have its first 100,000 pound contest with the Edinburgh National the Bet365 sponsored Edinburgh National doubling in prize money from last year from 50,000 to 100,000 um that is part of uh Musselburgh uh, Scottish Cheltenham Trials weekend in February uh that this year will offer more than 400,000 pounds in prize money there'll be a new 75 grand handicap chase On the Sunday, ITV will be covering seven races across the the weekend. So lots of reasons, I think, for participants to be really happy about this news. Really grateful to Musselburgh. There's already been uh, that sort of response on social media uh, to Musselburgh's announcement. um, And I think they should be applauded for it.
1: And so to Cheltenham, uh, first of all, I, I can tell you that the... Stop the implementation of affordability checks uh, petition or affordability slash final risk checks has got to eighty three thousand five hundred eighty eight. After a strong start, we are uh, finishing with a it's a bit of a sort of gone hard on the dirt finish, uh, but we are getting there. Excuse me, and hopefully we'll be there. Soon enough, and racegoers at Cheltenham will be encouraged to sign that petition this weekend. Uh, we can first of all hear from Irish trainer Kean Collins, who sends out Mighty Tom in the Arkle Trial.
5: Um, I think the, the two mile will suit him more so than the two and a half. year ran over in Cork. Um, the ground a bit might be a bit better over there, which will suit. And there won't be too many runners, which is the main thing with him. And mm-hmm. um, that's why we haven't gone for a big year to chase with him because. Um, a big runner feel like that wouldn't suit him because he's um, he's not an easy ride. So um, the small runner, will, small runners will definitely suit. What
1: what, what makes him tricky, Cian?
5: Um You just have to get him settled early on. Um, it, once you get him settled, he, he's a great ride. But that's just the, the trick to get him settled over the first couple of fences, and then you can work away on him.
1: What, what do you think his trip is?
5: I think he's a real two miler. Right? Yeah, he has plenty, plenty of pace, and I think he's a, a real good two miler.
1: I I I I know he's running in the architrand, I only because it was two and a half last time and um yeah, he ran a good race, you must have been pleased. We were very
5: happy with him, yeah, first run over fences and there was plenty of improvement. He had a good blow, so um, I think he's gonna improve a little bit from that.
1: Um what obviously you you know, you've had him for what, five, five runs now. What what have what have you sort of learnt about him? Just that main thing that he he needs to be switched off?
5: Yeah, well, I actually brought him as a three-year-old, ah. and um, then he went down to Tom Cooper and Peter the point Then he went down to Tom Cooper, and when I got my license out, I was looking up to get him back. But, uh, so I, I know plenty
3: about him since mm. he was a young horse. So um, yeah, it was just
5: getting settled, and he used to make the running, but we changed that up to jump him off last, and it seems to be working with
1: him. Uh, interesting. Yeah, you know you know him very well, and um, uh, Arabian King. He's going to come back over, is he?
5: He's coming over, yeah. He ran there three weeks ago. Yep. Um, he had a good run that day. It, it didn't really go to plan with him that day. Just things didn't go right. So we're going to ride him different now on Friday. And um, I think he'll run a good race. Mm. Is
1: this is this meeting just as a whole sort of always, you know, been been something that you've been thinking, you know, could could target a nice couple at that?
5: Yeah, you'd be always thinking um, if you've a horse good enough, it's great to bring them over. And um, hopefully these two now are good enough to be
1: very competitive on Friday. Mm. Well, it, it looks that way, particularly, Mighty Tom. Thanks, Keen. All the best. Thank you. Thanks, Lee. What are you most looking forward to this weekend at Cheltenham? Um,
2: I think the Paddy Power God Cup, Tom, looks like a really interesting uh, renewal this year, particularly because we have got two of the Grade One winning novice chases from the festival lining up in in that race. I always love to see uh, the sport's biggest stars. Come- Competing in the top handicaps, um, there are signs that we'll get that um, at Newbury um, later in the month with the the Coral Gold Cup, and I think it looks like we're going to get that with the Paddy Power Gold Cup as well, with the Real Wacker, winner of the Brown Advisory Novices Chase and Stage Star winner of the Turner's Novices Chase, heading up the weights. They're two classy performers. They add a real layer of quality to what is always an eagerly awaited race. We might not have quite as big a field as we've had in some years with 17 horses left in at the five-day stage. Hopefully, the majority of those uh, will line up on Saturday. But I think it is an intriguing contest. Uh, Stage star, the favourite, would be my preferred candidate at the moment. But I think it's a, a race that's got lots of interest in it. Sunday's card features the Schler chase. Hopefully, we'll see... John Bond, Edward Stone and Editor De Gite, heading that up with New Bay Negra and Dancing On My That's a really strong race Tom. And on Friday we have the Cross Country Stars with Delta Work and Galvin entered in that one. They're the only two horses that Gordon has entered uh, at the three day Chopman meeting and given his recent form, I suspect a lot of trainers in Britain and Ireland will be breathing a sigh of relief. And
1: talking of the real whacker, I spoke to his trainer, Paddy Neville, a little bit earlier on, asked him how he was and how the horse was.
2: Good, Tom. How are
6: you keeping? Uh, yeah, we're, we're good. We're, we're soak wet up here. Hmm. Uh, but sure, we're fine. We're, we're alive and kicking. So- really, really looking forward to the weekend.
1: Is soak wet good for you, as in, you know, getting the, getting the horses out and, and National Hunt ground, or is it a concern for the real whacker?
6: It's not a concern, no. Uh, no, I... I uh, bear wouldn't go real heavy, heavy, deep ground. Uh, and I, I'm not saying that he wouldn't go on it or handle it or anything like that, but it's just his first race of the season. So I had him entered in Carlisle there a few weeks ago and it, the ground just went so heavy, I said, you know what, I, I, I'll I, wait another few weeks mm. and uh, we'll... we'll, we'll uh, We'll wait for Cheltenham. I was I was actually in Cheltenham in the October meet and there was beautiful ground there, so I was just hoping that, that that would stay like that for the November meet.
1: Was the plan then to give him a run before this race or was it was it not always that you wanted to come for this race but now it fits as far as timing goes? Well,
6: timing-wise, yeah. But the easier option would have been the other the Carlisle race but we're going into a very competitive race in, in, in the Paddy Power but we're, we're we have the extra couple of weeks that we got as well for us for, for to prepare him so I'm happy enough now that he's prepared well and everything has gone so good so far mm. so touch wood he's, he's he worked this and now and we were very happy with him so that's his relaxed last piece of work before he runs he
1: likes he likes
6: and- mm. yeah
1: he likes the track, Paddy.
6: Yeah, that's probably one of the things that swung us towards towards that race, you know. Uh, there was other options there, like Haydock and places and, and uh, the Newbury race. So, uh, the, the fact that he really likes the track in Cheltenham, so we said we'd start him off there. So,
1: what do you think, obviously depending on how he runs, but if all goes to plan where would you ideally like to go after?
6: Well, it was a kind of a plan in the back of my head that we'd run into King George at Christmas. Hmm. So that's still there. Uh, once we get out uh, over Saturday, they are safe and sound and all going well, we'll, we'll we might aim for that, that race in Kempton.
1: How, how does uh, it feel this year with, a, obviously... You know, it's completely different to this time last year. I guess everything he did last year, he kept surprising people. But, I mean, now there's a weight of yeah. expectation with him.
6: That's it. There's probably more pressure this, this year. <laughs> mm. So, yeah, it's, we're looking forward to him. Uh, he's, we think he's physically developed a little bit stronger uh, and... After he's summered well and he has that extra bit of age as well, you know. So he's really developed now into a nice type of a horse. So strong. He was always kind of light framed and, and, uh, not fully matured. So we're hoping that he's, he had a good summer out and, and he had a long break and, and he's really filled into his frame. So. I'm looking at him there now and saying uh, he looks well and everything like that. And anyone that has seen him said that he has filled out. So Sam came up and sat in him there two weeks ago. He wrote him. And uh, he he was delighted with him as well. Uh, And his appearance, he said that he really filled out.
1: And he'll be back on board for the Paddy Power, will he?
6: He is, yeah. He's back on board. Yeah. So... Uh, he's looking forward to him. We're all looking forward to it. So it's a starting point as well. Probably it's been a funny kind of a year there with with uh the weather. The weather has been very bad and we've we've had a bit of hassle up here with gallops. Gallops have been flooded and things like that. So we've had to go away a good bit and mix it here and there. So we've we've uh we're happy enough with him, yeah. Good man. Good luck. Thanks and Tom.
1: Well, one of the stars we're going to see this weekend is, of course, John Bon. One of the stars we're hoping to see is is John Bon. Nicky Henderson joins me now, and he's all set for the Schler, is he, Nicky? Yeah,
7: that's the plan. Yeah, yeah, no, we're we're ready to go. It wasn't the original plan, but it's just come to hand really nicely, and he seems in good form. You know, it is only three weeks to the Tingle Creek, but he took his racing very well in the back end of last season. We, you know, they came a bit rat-a-tat-tat, and he was great. So I don't think three weeks is too much of a burden to ask him.
1: Well, I, I guess, as you say, Schler, uh, then then Tingle Creek, uh, and everything there on in, sort of is pretty is pretty obvious target wise. Is it working back from a, a champion well, chase?
7: It, it's it's not. That's no because thing was the, the back end of last year. In fact, after Cheltenham. Um, we were pretty determined to go two and a half. Mm. And it was only actually when you looked at, he was in, I, I thought we'd go to Aintree over two and a half. But the, the two mile novice chase was blatantly weaker than the two and a half mile novice chase. So we stayed at two. And he was very good. He won well. And then I needed to find out, if once and for all, are you a two miler or plus? You know what I mean? and we literally within 13 days turned around and went to Sandown for the celebration chase and over two taking on the sort of older two-milers I mean all but you know the winners of the um, champion chase or Barkles or anything like that weren't in there but there was a good yardsticks and he beat them very comfortably and again he looked like a two-miler um, so, you know, I, I couldn't. Yeah, the the plan is Schler and Tingle Creek. After which we will have to re-examine the stamina issue. And let's see, you'd expect him to stay. And and um,
1: how, Nikki, how much do you think that depends on on John Bon, or how much does it depend on the on the competition in in the two divisions?
7: Well, I think. John Bon himself is—he he, he seems very fresh and well, and enthusiastic about it all. You know, he seems sharp, so I'm hoping he is. No, if he wants to be a two-miler, that's fine. Mm. If he wants further—you know—we were in the same boat last year heading to Tingle Creek with Shishkin, only to find out he was a three-miler. <laughs> so, you know, a, a lot can happen.
1: That's that—that's very true. Yeah. Um, Good, well that so that that's John Bon um are we going to see Lucia this weekend
7: yes that is the plan Lucia and Iberico Lord both planning to run in the greatwood um, yeah I think that's I think that's what we'll do she, uh, she's come out of weather be well we've sort of went through everything with her yesterday wise and everything and everything says so she's in good order
4: w- w- so um you
7: know why not? It's a hell of a prize. What do you feel?
1: Um, what do you feel about about the mayor's race at Weatherby? Uh, that she needed
6: it. Right. I, I was sort of slightly aware of that before we went there. Mm. I was in two eyes, to be honest with you, whether it was the
7: right thing to do. But you know, she still ran a very good race until she got a bit tired at the end. Um, you'd like to think she'd come on a fair bit for that.
1: Uh, Impostoire is in a couple of races. Is in, in in a handicap a, a, as well as a, yeah, a novice, like I think.
7: The yeah, the intermediate handicap is what I would be
1: thinking of. Yeah, right. Uh, wh- wh- well, what? What? So. What can you tell us about the horse?
7: He's a very laid-back character at home. He doesn't show you an awful lot, but he was an awful lot better on the race course last year. I would think two and a half would suit him. But um, yeah, we we'll we'll examine all races anyway.
1: Uh, Mr. Coffee in, in The Novice nearly caught me out because I didn't expect him to still be a novice having run in a national but he <laughs> yeah, is
7: we're well aware that he's a novice <laughs> he yeah. is. Um, but I mean you know it's interesting to see that he's a novice coming into a grade 2 race and is the highest rated horse in the race mm.
1: um,
7: so obviously it makes rather more sense to be running in a conditions race than it would be running in the handicap the next day so we will go for the novice. And, yeah, he seemed in really good shape, actually. I mean, I'm looking forward to running him, and he wouldn't mind the ground if he got a bit soft. So, you know, I've got to... I mean, as far as the National's concerned, it would be our objective, although with the reduction in the field size for the Grand National, as it currently stands on stats for the last five years he wouldn't now get into this year's Grand National. Mm. So it's pretty important that he gets on and wins a race fairly shortly, which he should be doing for a, as he is to the novice after three seasons. Um, you know, he's been running some fantastic races and he's done great things, but he hasn't won one yet. That's not his fault, it's the trainer's fault for running him in stupid races.
1: Uh, and have, do you change anything with him at, at home or, or anything or just find the right race for him? No, just try and run him in the sensible race now
6: you know if you want to go and win a race you ought to be going down to the country and
7: finding a nice little novice chase but they don't let you do that anymore you know they're all novice handicaps and he's rated 144 so he can barely run in a novice handicap so um, you know luckily he's still got a sort of you know these Better races, whereas well, as I say, he does actually come into it, technically, as the highest rated horse in the race. <laughs> but you're, you're not making life very easy for him to win a novice chase by running in the grade two. Mm.
1: And Chantry House, is he going to stick over fences uh, this year or hurdles? No, I'm,
7: I'm quite keen to go over hurdles for a moment, yeah. Whether he'd run there or not, I'm not too sure.
1: OK, so it, it might not necessarily be this weekend, but it will be... No, it might not be, no, right, no um okay we might see him over hurdles and uh, just yeah. finally shishkin you mentioned is, is is betfair chase the intended target
7: yes there is ask at the same day of a two mile five which we knows he likes because he won that last january um it is the same day i mean i should think the answer is we'll probably go for the best ground
1: yeah
7: although he actually doesn't mind software
1: nicky really appreciate your time as ever and for okay. all the updates thanks ever so much all right thanks,
0: Bye. Alright, one last time. Here's Nick. All right, it is Tuesday, which means we go around the bloodstock world with our friends at Weatherby's, And there's only a week to go before entries close for next Weatherby's stallion book. Uh, Breeders' Cup mile winner expert I is one of 300 or so stallions in the current book, but he is on his way to a new home. He is moving to South Africa, where we've made several visits on this segment, and in particular to the farms in the Western Cape, such as Vastfontein, Drakenstein, Ridgemont, and Claverfly. Today, we head to the owner of a new stud farm in the same area, Harderberg stud where expert eye is going to stand and the farm has been started by a British uh, businessman Charles Palmer and Steve Ajax and Steve uh, joins me now Steve massively exciting just tell us how all the strands of this tie together and why uh, you are um, getting expert eye to South Africa and your own interest in racing in the country
8: well I've been involved in racing in South Africa for some 12 years now I initially had horses in training with a man called Neil Bruss, who some of your listeners might remember managed to train two very moderate South African performers to finish third and fourth in the Dubai World Cup way back about 15 years ago. Uh, Neil was a very straight-talking chap and uh, didn't suffer fools gladly. But that appealed to me because Neil would tell you if you had a horse or not. So if you were spending money on a racehorse, you wanted to know that they're going to end up winning races or performing for you. And he was very quick to tell us whether or not that was going to be the case. Uh, Neil was married to Sally, who was manager of Lammerskral Stud in the Western Cape. Very successful stud operation. Sally's bred the winners over 20 individual group ones. Um, a host of top-class horses came from Lamaskol under her guidance, including two Horses of the Year. And she also won two Sire Championships uh, during her time at Lamaskral. Uh Neil sadly died in 2019, and Sally's been in, not in the wilderness necessarily, but looking for something new uh, since then. And I've supported her with a couple of mares over the last couple of years. But it it wasn't really working for her. And last year, I took Charles Palmer to see some of my mares, and he sort of got the bug. So he'd been bitten by the racing bug, never previously involved in racing, although his son is involved in the sport these days. Uh, Charles is nevertheless a sportsman, uh, was a rugby player, but unfortunately a a serious injury curtailed that career. But nevertheless, he, he decided to become a referee (laughs) <laughs> for his sins <laughs> uh, and uh is still very active in that sport but he's got the racing bug now and seeing how well sally looked after her mares and and brought her young stock along he was extraordinarily impressed as indeed i've always been and we got our heads together and looked at what our options were and we found a uh, a rather large plot of land not far from Pahl, about 45 minutes out of Cape Town. And we put an offer in, and we were successful. Uh, It's all moved incredibly quickly since then. Whilst all this was going on, we heard that Expert Eye might be available to purchase. Um, Chadmont are going to have to find space for Chaldean at the stud next year, as we now know. Uh, but this was quite earlier in the year, and and not many people knew about that at the time. So we we made an offer, it was accepted, and we put the process in to get the horse over to South Africa. I'm pleased to say he's now in South Africa, uh, just undergoing quarantine as we speak, and we hope to have him at the new farm by the end of this month. The amount of work that's gone in on the farm in the five or six weeks since we took ownership is nothing short of extraordinary. Uh, Sally's got an extraordinary team out there that has done absolute wonders. It was not a stud farm previously. It was just used for cattle. And there's a small vineyard there as well. Fortunately, the vineyard's going to have to go to make space for paddocks. But we've already got up to 50 horses there. She's moved them across in the last two or three weeks. And it's all looking extraordinarily promising.
0: Uh, and Steve, you're not going to go into a project like this unless you think it's against the backdrop of a, a reasonably promising situation with South African horse racing, which has had its challenges. It, it seems as though things might be on the up. From from your perspective, um, tell me why you feel good about it.
8: Well, as I said, I've been involved now for 12 years, and, and most of them have been pretty trying because I've, I've seen the industry go into rather steep decline. It's It's been obviously accelerated from the perils of, of COVID. There have been other issues around the sport that have taken it into a dark place. However, over the last 12 months or so, there's a new regime in, in the Western Cape in particular. They've really grasped the nettle. There's been a lot of support from Hollywood bets who have got behind the rejuvenation of racing in the Cape And they've got a man at the helm there called Greg Bortz, who's a a bit of an entrepreneur businessman who's got a very successful business career behind him. And he's using his skills to help transform racing in the Western Cape. And they're doing an extraordinary job. And it's not just about building things and, and concrete and chrome and all that kind of stuff. They've actually got stuck into the racing program as well. They've been well advised by Justin Vermark. And they've had a really positive impact on the sport. There's a lot of excitement now, especially in the Western mm-hmm. Cape. But that excitement now is also transferred to Durban, where Hollywood Bets and Greg Bortz have taken over gold circle racing. And there's an awful lot of excitement around something they're called calling coastal racing.
0: And there's been quite a bit of excitement surrounding your own project, Global Team Horse Racing, which was really a forerunner for, for all the offshoots like Racing League and um, Championship Horse Racing and the, the the outfit that Tom Lute set up in the United States. It was probably the first um, incarnation of this concept. How's it bedding in?
8: It's going extraordinarily well, Nick. What, what we've done, we've done an awful lot of audience research. We've tried to find something that people can get behind. And we put our money where our mouth is, and, and we got our first series launched last year in Greyville, in, in Durban. Uh, four race meetings over four nights, Friday nights, and it was an extraordinary success. The live audience figures quadrupled over that four week series. We also streamed the series into China, and the viewing figures there were also extraordinary again, quadrupling. Over the four weeks We're extraordinarily excited by it And then out of the blue in November last year We were nominated for a couple of awards In the annual Sports Industry Awards And we sent our team there to enjoy themselves And have a really good night And lo and behold Come the announcement of the event of the year Our name was called out We won event of the year And that's against incredibly stiff competition Including Rugby World Cup 7s We know the quality of South African broadcasting on sports such as cricket and and soccer is is terrific. And to beat that category of competition was a a, a tremendous feather in our cap, I feel.
0: Grounds for great optimism, Uh, Steve. I wish you all the best with all of these projects, particularly the stud and, and expert eye, and look forward to catching up very soon. Thanks so much.
8: Thank you very much, Nick.
2: All right, Lee, I just need a tip from you, please. Yes, Tom, I'm going to Huntingdon today. Uh, I'm going to go for the 3.15 race. Uh, it's a handicap hurdle over two miles. And I'm going to hope that one more for the road can bounce back to form for Neil King and Jack Quinlan. Um, those are a good memory. Remember him winning the Jerry Field and Hurdle a couple of years ago things haven't necessarily gone on from that point as the connections would have hoped but he's dropped down the weights quite considerably and if he can bounce back he will be extremely well treated in the 315 at Huntingdon so one more for the road for me at Huntingdon this afternoon lee lovely stuff thanks
1: ever so much thanks to everyone that's been on the podcast today and nick we'll be back from Bahrain tomorrow that was tuesday november the 14th bye-bye
0: you've been listening to nick luck daily brought to you in association with fitzdares the racehorse owners association and thoroughbred racing commentary